Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com company contact. Hi, I'm Mike Powell, and welcome to AEP Practice Life. Tonight's subject is winterizing your equine veterinary practices towards the end of November. And I thought of the subject because my own practice, I'm just outside of Toronto, Ontario. We just had a few vets join us who came from Mexico, and we've been talking about how do we get them ready for winter? And I thought, you know what? I bet you there's a good number of AEP members that would be really interested in this because they live in northern climates. And then there's probably a good number of AEP members that are going to listen to this with morbid fascination going, what are you crazy living up there? This is nuts. <laughs> so let's let's introduce uh, our guest tonight. Um, and yeah, no surprise, everybody's living pretty far north and is pretty used to very cold weather. Let's start in the west and introduce uh, Dr. Zach Lopnow. Zach, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And then we'll, we'll carry on a little bit further south, running over to New York State, Dr. Ryan Penno. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, Mike. Glad to be here. Yeah. And then always due north of where Ryan is, up near Ottawa, Ontario, is Dr. Melissa Rachelou. Hi, Melissa. Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me. And so heading over, uh, probably due west from where Melissa is, Dr. Angie Hill on beautiful Georgian Bay, just outside Collingwood, Ontario. Welcome, Angie. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having us here. So let's let's introduce each other. Uh, Angie, let's stick with you. So uh, tell us about you, your, your practice, uh, just how darn cold does it get where you are? <laughs> so we are a three-vet, primarily ambulatory practice, uh, equine only in Georgian Bay, which is about two hours north of Toronto, but most importantly, on the edge of a major body of water that has its own weather system that pretty much is a snow globe for much of December through March. Fun. So we've got a, we got a countdown until it begins. Yeah. Yeah. And Melissa, you're up uh, near Ottawa, Ontario, which is darn cold. It's really cold. <laughs> it's very cold. Yes. We are a now three and a half vet practice. My business partner and I opened uh, March of last year. So uh, this will be our second winter together, but 10 years in practice. Uh, the coldest it gets is a with the wind chill, we're looking at like minus 38. And that's Celsius. That's Celsius, yes. Which um, even Fahrenheit is, you know, that, when it's that cold, it's <laughs> really cold. You just stop looking at the temperature at that point. Uh, so it gets pretty darn cold here. Lots of ice usually. Right. And Ryan, we're at, tell us what your, your practice and where you are at. We are a uh, nine vet, all equine practice in uh, beautiful capital region of upstate New York. We're a couple hours due north of New York City. We kind of sit on a belt where we could either get a ton of snow or we can get a ton of rain. Uh, it's usually one or the other, and it's usually pretty wet. 
I can sympathize with Melissa and those up north. I'm from Ottawa area, so I get it. Spent a couple of years in Edmonton, Alberta before coming down to New York. So I feel kind of weak sometimes dealing with the cold here because it's nothing like what it used to be. If you're from Edmonton, there's like major respect happening right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's our practice. We're majority ambulatory. And Zach, tell us about yourself. You've you've had some changes in your professional career recently. Yeah. uh, Where I was previously uh, was up in Minnesota. We were in eight doctor practice up there. Uh, That the coldest that we got up there was probably minus 25 degrees Fahrenheit, which is minus 32 ish degrees Celsius uh, before the wind chill. And then you add the wind in on top of that and it got down to around minus 40 on the Fahrenheit. But actually this last year moved down to Iowa, which is not really that much of a difference in the climate itself. Still very cold, but uh, not quite as much of a of a deep cold that you get up in Minnesota. Well, carry on with you, Zach. So it's winter, it's cold. You're in Iowa. There's not a lot of obstacles to cut away the wind. So what are the biggest challenges either in, during the winter, either in Iowa or what your, uh, your experience is up in Minnesota? Yeah, you know, the <laughs> I would say the the stuff you can't plan for is probably the hardest things to deal with as a practitioner. So your emergency work, that gets a, get to be a challenge, especially late at night, uh, when in the cold, if you have a laceration, something that, you know, a nice skin flap, there's a good chance that it's frozen solid by the time that you get to it. So it's just an icicle dangling off the horse. Uh, if you got someplace warm, you can bring it into great. Otherwise you try to just thaw it out with warm water as best as you can. And so till you can't feel your fingers, warm your fingers up and then go again. <laughs> so yeah. it, it makes it better for when you accidentally stab yourself with your suture needle and you can't feel your finger anyway, it, it really evens out. So you're all good. It's when it's so cold, like the xylazine freezes in the syringe as you're giving. Uh-huh. I, yeah, that, or um, I've had icicles in my NG tube, you know, going to pass it for a colic. So that's all those fun things got to be accounted for on the emergencies. Wow. Angie, tell us a bit about what's winter like for you in your practice? What's your biggest challenge up there? Sometimes our biggest challenge is just getting to where we need to go. We have some crazy road closures that can last for days up here. And there have been times where people have contacted us and we, we, we have to try to figure out a way to even just get to them. So sometimes navigating the roads, figuring out how to get there safely. Um, and then of course, just dealing with everything once you do get there is, is challenging. Yeah. I think, I mean, I mean, some of the stuff Zach talks about, it's kind of humorous in hindsight, but when you've got whiteouts and the roads are a full snowstorm, that's not fun. That's, that's nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Melissa, tell us a bit about uh, winter in Ottawa or Carlton place where you're at. Uh, I am right along with Zach, uh, the freezing hands. And I mean, the demographic of horses we have in this area, we have quite a few show horses, but we also have a lot of pleasure horses who, you know, a lot of them live outside and they don't have a barn, they have a shelter. So it's windy, it's cold, our hands are freezing. And sometimes you just can't have the layers that you need (laughs) to stay warm uh, because you need a little bit more dexterity or you need to be able to move a little bit better. Uh, So yeah, it's challenging for sure. And, and Ryan, uh, I said you got either rain or you got a lot of snow. And I've, I've been in your area. You get a lot of snow. 
Yeah, I can sympathize with Angie. We probably don't get quite as much, but one of the biggest challenges is just the snow load. And like Micah said, he's visited us. Uh, there's not a lot around us that's flat. There's a lot of hills and a lot of curves and a lot of tree cover. So we have a lot of narrow, hilly roads uh, with blind corners. And so vehicles tend to go slipping and sliding a lot. So just getting to an emergency that could take several hours just to make it through the roads uh, and then trying to get on to the next one is a pretty taunting challenge at times. I could just hear people listening to this from Florida or Arizona and just shaking their heads like, why are you doing that? So, okay, but obviously we, we practice we enjoy the areas we live in, but when we're practicing, so Ryan, we'll keep with you. How do you keep warm? Like, how, how do you do it? Uh, lots of layers. That's the key to keeping warm. And for me, the, the key to keeping warm, keep your feet warm, keep your legs warm. I think if you can keep those two areas warm, because I'm a person who likes to have my arms kind of free to suture up those nasty wounds and stuff. So if I can keep my bottom half a lot more insulated, it tends to keep the upper half a lot more warm. Um, so I think that's the key for me and uh, definitely with uh, good quality boots and keep your feet warm so they don't get wet and cold because that's just miserable if you're out at night and everything is wet and frozen solid. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How about yourself, Zach? How do you keep warm when you're out there? Yeah, I would second the layers thing. I have a set of Carhartt bibs that I invested in uh, when I first started in practice and that's been the best purchase I've made for as a practitioner uh, for keeping myself warm. I, I will say that the challenge becomes keeping the top half layers able to strip down easy enough to do a rectal. I have definitely rectal with one arm in a t-shirt and the other arm in three layers in a jacket. <laughs> but the nice part is even though your arm's cold, once you start the rectal, it warms up. <laughs> so that's, it, it balances out for you. Yeah. The, I think the hardest part too is you end up getting in the layers and then you get back into your vehicle and your vehicle warms up. Honestly, you start sweating a little bit and then you get back out into the cold and that sweat gets cold again. So it's a balancing act for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. It reminds me, I was telling somebody about that, somebody that just joined a practice from down south. And I was just told the story about treating a, a colic in the middle of a field in a blizzard in Alberta. And I so didn't want to take my left arm out. Like it was like, <laughs> like it's nice here. <laughs> and, and Melissa, how do you keep warm and, and where you are? Oh man, I, I went to school in the Caribbean. So the three years I spent in, in Grenada and then the one year I spent in North Carolina have ruined me for winter, I think forever. So layers, absolutely. I have a merino wool base layer. I have my Under Armour heat gear uh, on top of that. And then I have uh, another wool sweater that goes over that vest. All of the vests, all the down vests, multiple. I've got some excellent sun ice snow pants that I love that you get at Costco. <laughs> I have like three pairs of those. So I always have a dry pair and multiple pairs of boots so that I have a dry pair every day because I, I tend to sweat in them a lot. But yes, definitely lots of layers. And, and like Zach said, you know, when you get in your truck, you've got to strip down so you're not sweating and then suit back up before you, you get out of your truck. Angie, how about yourself? What are the tips that you have to keep warm? When I moved up here about 10 years ago, I started out as a an equine vet in a small animal practice. And my colleagues thought I was crazy. Uh, they'd watch me going out on the road every day and they, they define the look as ski coin. And uh, <laughs> I think it, you know, it, it presents well to the client. You could be going to the slopes or you could be going to a colic and you just never know. <laughs> so lots of, um, lots of dual purpose clothes, snow pants, Carhartt, uh, insulated bibs are life-saving and keep your midsection warm. And a good puffy vest and uh, hats, 
warm socks, warm boots. Yeah, I, I think you you have to spend some money on good clothes and and, and good gear to make it doable. Uh, so you're just not miserable all the time. Do any of you use any of those electric like hand warmers or those little gels for your mitts? I was just going to say there's a company down here named Aurora that I should have stock in because a lot of my vets, including my wife and everything, they make battery powered, heated everything, vests, scarves, <laughs> gloves, <laughs> socks, pants, you name it, shells. And uh, they're becoming very popular, both with my client base and my vets. Right. Yeah. So, Angela, carry on. Like, okay, you're going out to a college, you're going out to do a laceration, you're just going to go to do a dentistry. Like, how do you keep your vehicle and equipment warm? It's it's nighttime. Like, what's the, I know the answer, but I know a lot of people are listening to this. Like, yeah, that's like, how do you keep yourself warm? How do you keep your equipment warm? We have a couple different types of vehicles in our practice. So, we have two of like the older school uh, vet trucks with plug in buoy units, and those have heaters that run all night. So, the it'll just circulate as long as it's plugged in so that'll keep everything in that part of the truck warm we try to on the really cold nights not keep like the dr and the ultrasound in the trucks at night and try to keep it in the practice or in our garage or in our house if you don't have a garage i drive a suburban and that's a little more challenging i have been fortunate enough to have a garage that has uh, at least a little bit of heat but I have rigged up a space heater and put it on the back of my vet box in the Suburban and just hope that was okay. <laughs> if it's going to be below minus 10 at night, uh, I'll do that so that things don't freeze up too badly. Probably not great, but it does the trick. Yeah, I have a story about a space heater, but somebody else may have it, so I'll just wait a bit. Zach, how about yourself? I mean, you, you talked about ice in your NG tubes. So the, the vehicle I drove in practice was a SUV crossover type vehicle and you got really good. So I believe the break point was 12 degrees Fahrenheit. If it went below that, you ran the risk of things freezing in your vehicle. Above that, you were okay. So from 32 to 12, you were okay. Things were cold, but they weren't frozen. And uh, we typically, you know, I would try to run a space heater into that vehicle that, that was mainly how I ran the keeping it warm when it was lower than that. You know, when you're out on the road, when you're at these emergencies, though, I am not ashamed to say that I left that car running on those really cold nights and just blasted the heat. And it was a little bit of an oasis that you could escape back to, you know, you got to go run some diagnostics, quote unquote, in your vehicle just to warm up and feel your, your extremities for a little bit. <laughs> for sure. How about yourself, Melissa? Space heaters, for sure. Like I drive a an F-150 and I'm, I'm too short to use a buoy box. I have to climb my truck, scale it to get into a buoy box. So I have a custom box put in the back, but to heat it, of course, I need a space heater. So I, I have a space heater that I, I plug in at the bed of the truck and I have an insulated tonneau cover. Once it drops below minus 10 Celsius, you know, stuff starts to freeze, but up until that point, you're usually okay. As far as being at calls, I have a like one of those metal bucket heaters because um, we don't always get warm water or the water doesn't stay warm very long. So I just carry one of those tubular heaters that I can just plug in and keep in my water, especially for like if you're we do a lot of power floating. But if we're doing some hand floating, you know, keep the ice off my hand floats and that kind of stuff is it works well. And it's like 40 bucks to, to keep the water warm. So that works well. But I on occasion as well. well. I'll plug my truck in at a client's house. If I know it's going to be a longer call, I'm just like, hey, can I borrow an exterior plug? I need to turn my space heater on or my stuff's going to freeze. And they're very good about it. And on really bad nights, I leave it running. 
<laughs> it's fair. Yeah. How about yourself, Ryan? We generally run SUVs, so uh, space heaters at night, either space heaters or um, we've gotten pretty good at segmenting out our freezable stuff into small containers so that those can be, just be pulled out into the house and leave everything else cold. At calls at night, I'm with Zach. I'm not ashamed to leave my truck running heat and especially those uh, cold snowy nights. The headlights can be invaluable to find your way around. Yeah. So leave the truck running, leave the headlights pointed in the right direction just to try to keep everything from freezing. I remember nights on when I was in Edmonton having to drive to calls and have the euthanasia solution sitting on the defroster just to keep it warm enough so you can pull it up and run to the run to your patients. So well, that was my next question is and, you know are there medical considerations that you consider uh, during the heart of winter, you know, whether it's you know the euthanasia solution, I know the big tip we knew is you know as soon as you know you're in euthanasia put it in a bucket of warm water or hot water because I mean, it's thick enough as it is, and if it's minus 20, it's it's porridge. You know, uh, the dreaded choke when your nasogastric tube is frozen so stiff that uh, you're inevitably going to get a bloody nose trying to pass it. So dunk it in warm water for a few minutes prior to pulling it out. Or I usually will stick it down my sweater or stick it next to my core for a few minutes to try to loosen it up a little bit before passing it, just to try to avoid that. Anybody else have any kind of medical considerations? Because I know in our, our practice, I mean, there's a certain temperature. We won't do dentistries just because it's just too hard on the horses. Anybody else have anything? I was just to say most of the, you know, the elective uh, sedation type procedures, we try to postpone if it's really cold out just because the, I feel like those horses can't compensate appropriately or they get sweaty and that's not very kind to them. <laughs> we stopped doing dentistries at about minus 15 as long as we're out of the wind. But again, anything that's going to require, you know, a lot of sedation and, you know, the horses are going to be having a hard time uh, regulating, then we just, sorry, we're going to have to wait. It's in the horse's best interest to not do this today. So I know Ryan does, you know, veterinary chiropractic spinal manipulation. I don't know if anybody else does acupuncture, but does the cold weather impact your treatments? It changes the way we set up the patients. Like I'll tend to leave their blankets on and then just fold it into segments so that you can keep their bodies warm. The biggest problem uh, is your fingers just getting a little numb and you lose a little bit of that sensitivity when you're trying to palpate because trying to do that through gloves is impossible. Right. Trying to keep uh, just your fingers and core moving and then just trying to think of the horse as long as they're uh, stable and have some blankets that you can shift around just to try to keep some of their core warm. So one of the things I was thinking about with the space heaters, there's not a worse feeling is when you go out in the morning and you see the windshield of your truck that had a space heater iced over because <laughs> a lot of the good space heaters that if they tip, they shut off and you get, you know, you, you slam the door and the core's too short and you're like, okay, I got the heater on, we're good. And, you, you, and then it shuts off. You come yep. up in the morning and you're like, yep. everything. That's just a great feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. Or the morning you forget to unplug it, you try to drive out of your driveway and rip the extension cord. <laughs> yes, yes. That's right. Done that too. <laughs> yes. We have a lot of those. Yeah. So, I mean, we enjoy, to a certain degree, we tolerate living in, in, in this cold weather as veterinarians, but how do you handle it personally? Melissa, like, I mean, how do you get through the winter personally? I mean, what is the joy of winter for all the people that are going to be in Florida and Arizona and wherever this winter? <laughs> I mean, I, I am a Canadian through and through, so I really do uh, like the winter. I think managing expectations helps me get through the winter. Our clients are, we, get, we, we should, should give them more credit. They are very understanding about 
realisms, you know, we, we can't do this today or, you know, we need to postpone. I do like to be outside. I do like to ride in the snow. It is so lovely. And I mean, it's the quiet time for us. So we're not as busy as we are in the busy season. So getting to take a little bit more time for ourselves helps get us through the winter. We have a little bit more downtime, which is nice. I like winter a lot. And as long as you're dressed well for it, you know, it's not that terrible. <laughs> well, I'm going to come back to it because I think that's a great question to discuss as, you know, practice owners, like how do you run the business in the winter when it does slow down? Well, let's, I want to finish with this in terms of Zach, how do you handle the winter personally? Like what, what gets you through to April? Yeah, that that's a good question. <laughs> April is being optimistic that that's the end of winter, especially in Minnesota. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I, I really enjoy the winter. I'm, I'm a four seasons kind of person. I, I love snow. I, I enjoy getting out and skiing, you know, growing up winter was the time when we were fair on out sows on the hog farm. So that was always a fun time of year for us. I just always enjoyed it. It's been, it's been a cool time and, and it's, uh, it makes everything look really clean, which is kind of nice too. You know, you get that pristine snowfall and it's hard to beat that in terms of a pretty landscape. Yeah, for sure. How about yourself, Angie? Yeah, I think it's um, try to make the most of every day, find some things that are unique to the area where, where you are that are, we live in an area that has a million recreation activities in the winter and just try to find some, some joy and some magic in that. And try to have some things to look forward to. I mean, honestly, a vacation. <laughs> if, yeah. uh, in non-COVID times, a sunny vacation can really, I think almost all of my clients, not, not necessarily go somewhere with their horses, but go somewhere personally to break up what can be a really long season and have something to look forward to. And, you know, we, we do a lot of extra CE stuff in the winter. We do some, try to do some like clinic learning events to keep our associates engaged and try to spend a little bit more time doing things you don't have time to do the rest of the year. Right. And how about yourself, Ryan? Yeah, I'm going to second uh, what uh, they said, uh, both Melissa and Angie about, um, luckily I'm I'm pretty cold tolerant person. So I do really enjoy the winter. I find uh, it's a good time just to get out and enjoy the seasons and do some sports outside. But I will mimic that since it's the downtime, I really encourage all our vets just to take some personal time and just get away. You don't tend to find that in the spring and summer. So that's really the time to go out and enjoy it and uh, get some downtime and get ready for the next spring. So um, I think just try to take personal time and uh, I agree with uh, Angie, catch up on some CE and and some learning experiences where you, where you can't really find the time during the summer. So Ryan, as a practice owner, I can speak of myself the first, you know, as a practice owner the first winter and you're seeing how slow it is and you're like, is this ever <laughs> going to get busy again? And how am I going to pay for things? I mean, how do you manage your business in the winter? Uh, budget for it. So we, um, you know, try to look at things on a 12 month schedule and just anticipate that the winter's coming, do a proactive budgeting so that uh, we know kind of what's coming in, what's coming out during the slow season. Um, and try to just remember that, uh, you know, where you're making hay during spring and summer and the cash is flowing in that uh, it can go out pretty quick. So uh, try not to spend it all quickly in the summer and, and just spread things out over a 12 month schedule. But I think, you know, just keeping good records and just looking back and trying to keep a good 12 month average and know where you are and some projections about how you're doing in that year and make some plans for the next year based on some good suppositions. How about yourself, Angie? I, I agree with that. I think it 
that was a real challenge for me. The first sort of three years that I started out, I started out by myself and then we grew to three. And I think that just trying to figure out what a whole year looks like. And the first year was the hardest. And I remember being very panicky uh, at the end of March, start of April thinking, oh my God, like, is this going to be okay? And and it is, it always is. And I, I have a little more confidence in that now. And every year gets a little bit better. But um, yeah, it's it's tricky. We started to try to push some of our seasonal work a little bit earlier when we could to help spread it out. So we would have, uh, you know, do more weather permitting dental promos in February and March, start to encourage clients to vaccinate a little bit earlier. And that helped. But it is, it's nerve wracking. And, and Melissa's going, I think it's your first or second winter in your own business. This will be our second winter. Yeah, we opened March 2020 and then COVID officially shut everything down uh, April of 2020. So we weren't sure how things were going to go. And we were chaotic the first winter. We were, we thought for sure we were going to get some downtime. You know, we're a new practice. It's just the two of us. We're going to do all of these, you know, management things and get super organized. None of that happened. I don't, I don't know where the horse people came from, but I mean, luckily uh, it worked out really well and we didn't really slow down at all the first season. So this will be our first sort of real winter as we're coming out of COVID. So we're not really sure uh, how things are going to go. We are trying to be very careful, like Ryan said, of, you know, planning and not spending all our money on the, you know, new equipment that we want for the practice as well. You know, we're, we're doing some dental promos now, try to get some of our dentals done, you know, by January 1st so that, January, February, we won't have to do any of that and just sort of spread the work out. I'd like some downtime this winter, <laughs> but I don't know uh, if, if we're going to get it or not. But right now, like generally we start to slow down, at least in this area, we start to slow down a little bit in September um, and we're still booking, you know, like our first appointment for routine stuff is about two or three weeks away uh, for any of us. There's three and a half. Of us. So we're still really busy for this time of year. But so we're cautiously optimistic that we'll, you know, have a nice balance of personal time and, and work time. Well, yeah, and something that Ryan said that really um, um, struck with me is that one year we did a lot of dental promotions and we ended up being so busy through the winter that I remember some of the vets going to me like, like I'm worried about the spring because this is supposed to be our downtime. It's supposed to be the recover, refresh. And like, I am already tired and it's not even March. And so uh, since then, we have purposely, it's like, all right, let's do dental promotions, but let's not all do them in January, February, and let's spread it out a bit, because I, I think we, we need to slow down a little bit to, to recharge. So last question, let's just go around. Zach, what is your top tip to manage the winter as an equine vet? It's a bit of a luxury item, but it's something that I, I really loved working in the wintertime, but heated seats in your vehicle are... <laughs> so great (laughs) it takes so long for your vehicle to warm up to push like hot air to you but that heated seat comes up so fast and i can't tell you the number of times i couldn't feel most of my backside you click that heated seater on and even a 10 minute drive you're back to normal and it was great (laughs) the heated steering wheel even adds to it if you want to get decadent i didn't feel like i needed quite that much but i would not say no to it either so how about yourself, Angie? What is your top winter tip? I think that the first thing I've started doing when I go into a really cold situation is try to find a source of hot water. It seems to make everything better, whether it's for your 
uh, for ultrasounding something, your dental equipment, your hands, uh, your drugs that are freezing. So find a way for hot water. Melissa, I'm really excited about your bucket heater tip. I'm going to buy one tomorrow. It's a great idea. Yeah, I, I wrote that down. If you get one of this sort of smaller round ones, it heats it in like two minutes. Yeah. The tubular ones, it takes about six minutes, but they're excellent. <laughs> Consumer reports, well, bucket heaters. How about yourself, uh, Ryan? Keep lots of extra clothes in your truck. By the middle of winter, I tend to have a large pile of extra clothes in the truck because you never know as you're shedding layers or need more layers or they get wet. Have something there because one thing that's miserable is that if you get wet first thing in the morning and you're wet all day, uh, that makes for a really miserable day. So if you have some extra layers and extra clothes sitting there, uh, it can make it a lot more easy to to get around that day. And last word yours, Melissa. What's your big tip? Oh, you already gave us one, but I hope you have another one. I do. Get yourself a great technician. There's nothing like it gets so dark so fast. Like driving alone in monotonous is horrible. You know, everything gets done so much faster when you have a technician. You know, they can be warming your tubes while you're assessing the patient and warming your fluids and clipping, you know, all of these things, everything just sort of gets done double time. Um, so if you can find yourself a technician who is really willing to suck it up and be your right-hand man, they're second to none. And I, I'm lucky enough that I have, have one who I could not live without. <laughs> so it really does make those, those long, cold, dark days that much brighter. I, I got one surprise question. I, I was meaning to ask it earlier. The bane of my existence in the winter are frozen water buckets and impaction colics. So does anybody have tips that, they, that they've given horse owners or you've learned for horse owners to keep water buckets warm in a drafty barn all winter? Anybody? That's the brass ring, I think, for winter practice. So here in Ottawa, you can build your own insulators. And we have a lot of clients that will do that. They basically wrap the buckets in uh, styrofoam and then duct tape them. It's very like rough, but it does keep them from getting that one inch of ice around them. If you don't have the option of a plug-in, you know, water bucket, you know, obviously that would be my go-to. But absolutely, get yourself plug-in water buckets. But they're you know seventy or eighty dollars a piece, and if you got ten horses, it's not cheap. And to run all those cords, you know, you worry about electricity and burning the barn down and things like that. At least that's what I would worry about. Um, but we do have a lot of clients who will you know, put basically a styrofoam box around the buckets, wrap them in duct tape. And it does seem to keep them, maybe they might get like a thin skim of ice on top, but they're never really frozen enough that they couldn't actually drink the water if they wanted to. Um, and I think you can actually even buy manufactured ones now. Like they're black and they just sort of Velcro over the handles. They use those a lot here. Brilliant. I have some clients that just take good old igloo coolers that you'd take camping or something and just put water in those and you can um, those actually keep the, keep the ice and frost stuff pretty well, surprisingly. Like if you put enough warm water in it, it'll drag them out for another hour or two at least. I'm learning something. Well, thank you all very much. I, I'm sure anybody who's listening to this from the South is like, I got to move to the North. That sounds amazing. <laughs> but it is, it actually is because it is true. We had the morning, we had a light dusting of snow, maybe about five centimeters, a couple of inches of snow there. And I was driving out, I'm like, this is a glorious day. And we got to the clinic and that's all everybody talked about. What a beautiful day. And everybody felt great about it. So, yeah, there's a lot to it. So thank you all very much. Have a, have a great evening and, and keep safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org.
Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com slash company slash contact.